Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. I used to have this football coach who would say this word, these words. He probably, he probably doesn't even remember me at all. I, I had him for a year. He was a defensive line, offensive line coach, Coach Palillo. And he'd say this, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. And I was, at times, it's frustrating to think about the ifs, and we can make excuses with the buts and, and all that stuff. But I want for a minute just to think about some if, okay? What if Edward Kimball had never taken personal responsibility, taken personal responsibility, that was bad English, you guys didn't catch it, you Southern Ohioans. What if Edward Kimball had never taken personal responsibility to see to it that the hyper young men in his Sunday school class came to personal faith in Jesus? What if? Well, if he hadn't have done that, there wouldn't have been this guy named Dwight L. Moody. And there wouldn't have been a Bible institute named after him, and there wouldn't have been a Moody Bible Church in Chicago. And if there hadn't have been Dwight L. Moody, there would not have been a guy named Wilbur Chapman who also became an evangelist. And if there hadn't been a Wilbur Chapman that became an evangelist, there would not have been a guy named Billy Sunday who was a pro baseball player turned evangelist. And if there had not been a Billy Sunday, there would not have been a guy named Mordecai Ham who had become an evangelist. And he wouldn't have scheduled a meeting, a revival meeting, a crusade in a little town called Charlotte, North Carolina. And he wouldn't have stood up in front of a group of people and told them for a fact that he knew there was a house of ill repute directly across the street from the, the local high school, and the boys were frequently ditching lunch and going over across the, to the house across the street. Then there wouldn't have been a group of boys who determined they were going to go to the meeting and cause trouble for Mordecai Ham. Then, this, there, there would, there was, then there was this one boy named Billy Frank, his family called him, who had already told his family he would in no way go to that meeting to go hear that evangelist until he heard that those other boys were potentially going to cause trouble. And you and I would have never known a guy named Billy Graham. And there wouldn't have been crusades where multiplied millions of people had heard the gospel, multiplied thousands would have never come to faith in Christ. Presidents wouldn't have, had a, wouldn't have had a counselor in difficult times. And quite honestly, some of us may not even be sitting here right, right now. Because this guy, I forget his name all of a sudden, Edward Kimball took responsibility for the six lives around him who were hyper young men. So I wonder what relational moments, what relational things God's orchestrating right now in our lives. What, 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 was he, what, is, he, what is he trying to, to sort through? What is he trying to get done in, 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 in the things that we can't see in our interactions with other people? I mean, so let's flip the idea for a minute and talk about us. Let, let's talk about an, some if statements. Let's, let's think about think, think about this. What, what would have happened if you'd not met that one person? Who introduced you to your spouse? Then there wouldn't have been, for some of us, little ones that we'd share a last name with, right? 
What, what, what if there hadn't been that one person who introduced your great whoever, grandpa, uncle, whatever, to, let's think on the bad side for a minute, alcoholism. What effect did that have on your family for generations? What, what, what if that, that one really good friend of your child hadn't turned your really good kid toward a thing called addiction and the ramifications that have bled out from, from that social, relational interaction? Th- think about this. What, what, what if there hadn't been that one teacher that took time to speak to that one student that then became a doctor or a nurse or a statesperson? Or another teacher and got a chance to influence other, other people. What, 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 what if there hadn't been that one person who took it upon themselves, much like Edward Kimball, to speak to your great uncle and introduce him to Jesus and then set off a spiritual earthquake in your family that reverberates two or three generations later? What if, right? What if that hadn't happened? Life would be completely different right now. And it all started because of why? Because of relational activities. Because, because influence was exercised. Because things happen. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's, it's temporarily altering the, the schedule and the life and the, the circumstance. Sometimes it's eternally altering those things. And guess what? We all have a chance to be a part of that. I've been talking to you for several weeks about the book of Philemon, two or three weeks, and, and, and I've been reading a commentary by a guy named Eugene Peterson who wrote a little book called The Message, which is a version of the Bible that's paraphrased for modern language. You just heard some words from it up on the screen as we were talking about out of the ground. Eugene Peterson talks about the book of Philemon this way. He tells us, in the first, the first thing I read to you, he said these words, if it doesn't spill out this conviction, this faith that we have into the lives of others, it is at best a fantasy and at worst hypocrisy. Last week I read to you these words and he said, listen, our relational activities and the, the, the impact of the gospel ought to be history making. He would say these words ongoingly about the book of Philemon. Philemon and Onesimus. You guys remember Onesimus? Hope you guys still have your name of your Onesimus somewhere nearby. Onesimus was a slave. Philemon was a slave owner. Philemon leaves, betrays his owner, takes something of value, maybe hurts some of some of the other others in Philemon's house in the process of escaping, and there's lots of bad road and bad blood that exists between Philemon and Onesimus. Okay, do you get that? Listen to these words. Philemon and Onesimus, the slave owner and slave who figured prominently in this letter from Paul, had no idea that believing in Jesus would involve them in radical social change. But as the two of them were brought together by this letter, it did, and it still does. You know why? Because we're reading about it right now. And God is changing us. And he will change how we interact with other people as a result of this one interaction between two people who did had no idea that the, what, what, what the relationship they were about to embark upon would change the world, literally. You get that? So I want to give you this idea today as we, we venture down this path. Listen, grace compels the world to change one life at a time. It is about the Edward Kimballs, and it is about the Dwight L. Moody's, and it's about the Mordecai Hams, and it's about the Billy Franks. It's about the Onesimuses and the Philemons interacting together for the glory of God. I don't know, we all fall in the gamut somewhere. We've probably most likely been an Onesimus at some point in our time where we've done really horrible, awful things to somebody. And at times we've been the Philemon who have the right to be frustrated and aggravated. But I'm wondering where on that gamut we are right now. 
that God's using to change the world. And maybe it's not fireworks and bells and whistles, but maybe it's one life, one interaction, one moment at a time. Let me think about this. How would would grace compel the world to change one life at a time? First thing, if we're followers of Christ, this should happen for us. Grace compels us to treat others as we would Jesus. Look at verse 17 of the book of Philemon. It says this, So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would me. Now, Paul is the writer of this book. Paul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, writes these words. But he's not writing words just as a mere man. Right now, as we read these, he is pinning the words of Scripture. He is writing these things under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Paul who's asking a guy named Philemon to do this. This is God in heaven, the creator of of, of you and I, and everything we can say, touch, and feel, going, listen, if we're partners in this thing called the kingdom, you got to do something for me. you got to welcome him, him who, whoever your Onesimus is, as you would me. The gospel teaches us that, that, that Jesus is, is at work on the planet. We're about to celebrate Easter, right? The resurrection Sunday, we're going to celebrate here on April 16th. And we're, we're going to enjoy the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and Jesus started a mission. He, he walked it out for three and a half, some, some odd months, years. Months, three and a half, yeah. Three and a half years, right? Three years and some odd months, right? He dies is buried, is resurrected. Meet some guys on the side of the hillside outside of a little town called Jerusalem and looks at him and says, all authority on power on earth, all authority on earth, heaven and earth are given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teach them everything I've taught you. Baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says these words, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, right? We call this not the great mission, We call it the Great Commission. You know why? Because there's a with statement there. Jesus is at work. He says, come with me. Let's be partners. He says, if you consider me a partner, let's get this work done. If you consider me a a, a, a part of your life, let's go. He calls us to journey with him. He calls us to walk with him. He calls all of us into this mission if we're followers of Christ. We cannot be bystanders. We cannot be bench sitters. We cannot be merely pew sitters and feel like we're accomplishing the task. We have to be actively involved in this thing. And most likely the way we're going to do that is because there's going to be an estimate in our life. Somewhere, somehow. Somebody who doesn't deserve the extra attention, somebody who doesn't deserve the forgiveness, somebody who doesn't deserve the, the, the time and, and the energy and the effort that it's going to take to get things right. But nonetheless, God's calling us to enter this mission with Him. He's calling us to, to walk these things out. Matthew 25, 31, you guys know, probably know these words. Jesus is teaching parables about how it's going to look at the end of the end, right? He, he's talking about these ten virgins who aren't ready. He's talking about these servants who were given certain things and trusted with certain things and, and how the, 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 the owner would go away and, and come back and want to report on how they de- dealt with what he had done. And then he gets to the, end, the, the last part of Matthew 25 and he tells this story about this king who gathers his people to him. And he, the Bible says he would sh- separate them as he would the sheep and the goats. And the, on the right side he'd put the, the ones he would consider sheep and he'd look at them and he'd go, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
They look at him like, well, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? And he said, and as much as you do to the least of these, the ones you think are least deserving, the ones you think are least necessary or whatever, you did it to me. And you look at others and go, you didn't do all those things. And they're like, well, when, when did we not do those things? And he said, when you didn't do it to them, you, did it, you didn't do it to me either. And so we, as, as God's gonna, if God's going to change the world one life at a time, he's going to do it because we, as his followers, treat those around us as, just like we treat Jesus. That, that, that's how it's going to change. Here's the word. The, the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this about, about these words. If Philemon rejects Onesimus, it would be like rejecting the apostle, his friend, his fellow worker, his brother, and even his partner. And the, and the writer says this, such would be unthinkable. But I just told you, Paul's not writing just as Paul. He is writing under the honor of the Holy Spirit. So it wouldn't have been just him rejecting Paul, his friend. He would be rejecting the Holy Spirit. He would be rejecting the work of God. He would be rejecting Jesus himself if he rejects Onesimus. And see, that's, that's where we miss it. Because we don't see them as Jesus. We see them as that person who did thus and such. We see them as that person who's, who's not worthy. If they do this again, and we're not looking at them as Jesus, we're looking at them as whatever. We're titling them some other way. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're in this with me, you better look at them as you would look at me. Oh, man, that's tough, isn't it? But this is where the rubber meets the road, you see. Because there's a whole lot of people out here who will put titles on people. Because they, they have done certain things or acted certain ways or have certain affiliations or certain associations or certain things. And Jesus is like, listen, you as my fellow has got to get past that. You're going to see them as I see them. They're my lost kids. They're the ones who need somebody to love them so they'll at least open up to the truth at some point in time. The more you keep categorizing and classifying them, the less likely they are to even listen anymore. And so listen, I've got to get to the point where you look at them as you look like, like you're looking at me. And, and, and we're, we're, God, God compels the world to change one life at a time by compelling us to treat others as we would Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He compels us, he compels us to incur another's burden upon ourselves. Well, that's up in the ante a little bit, right? Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul writes these words, If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Let me tell you something to you. Paul wasn't even around when Onesimus did Philemon. He wasn't there. Wasn't some conspiracy taken up by Paul and Onesimus? Paul wasn't even around. He, he didn't, there was, the, the, so Paul doesn't have to do this. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. In other words, take it to the bank. Don't be confused about how serious I am about this. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Wow, huh? See, Jesus would say similar words. One day he's approached by some really smart, theological, legal, philosophical, brainiac-type people. And they want to take Jesus to task on what he's talking about, what he's preaching. And so they send some really smart lawyer type up to the front of the crowd. They say, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in all of the scripture? Jesus goes, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, upon these two things do the whole law and the prophets hang. And you'd think that'd be enough, but not for that smart guy. Well, Jesus, if that's the case, 
then who's my neighbor? Trying to trap Jesus, right? So Jesus begins to tell this story in Luke 10 about this guy who travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. As he's traveling, he's traveling by himself, and robbers fall upon him. They beat him senseless. They strip him of his clothing. They take everything valuable that he has. They leave him laying for dead by the side of the road. And next thing you know, two really religious dudes walk up, and they're busy, and they're dressed in their Sunday best, and all of that stuff, and they don't have time to stop. And they're the ones who should know the laws and the prophets, right? And one of them is so far as they just jump across to the other side of the road, like, I'm not going to get tainted by that. I want to be ceremonially clean. And they keep walking. And then this Samaritan walks up. And for some of us, maybe we get it, maybe we don't. Samaritans were the least. They're the ones who were ethnically unpure. They were the ones who were looked down upon by the Jews. In fact, there was this hatred that existed between the Jews and Samaritans, partially because the the, the Samaritans uh, were were biracial. Couldn't handle that. There were several things that went on in in that scenario. And the, the, the one who should have hated this Jewish guy running up the road is the one who stops. And not only does he stop, he begins to take care and clean the wounds of this fella. He takes off his own coat and puts it on him. He, he sits him up on his own donkey. And he walks him to a place, an inn, where he can be tended to and cared for. And he looks at the innkeeper and he says, Listen, here's, here's enough for two days of him staying. And when I come back, because I am coming back, when I come back, if he's incurred any more costs on you, I'll take care of the rest too. And that's how Jesus talks about what a neighbor's supposed to look like. That, that he's the one who, who incurs the burden. He's the one who gets off his donkey. He's the one who gives up his coat. He's the one who, who, who carries whatever it takes to make sure this guy gets where he, he's going. That's the guy who's the neighbor. And so, so we, as we're going through life, we've got to be aware that, that if we're going to change the world one life at a time, that means at times we have to take the burden of someone else on us. Galatians 6, 6, 1 and 2 talks about that idea. Paul writes, you should share one another's burdens. You should be involved in the trench with them. Jesus himself, we, we, read, we sang a song a minute ago. Jesus, the Bible tells us that, G, that we owed a debt we could not pay. The debt of sin. I, I can't fix it. There's too much there. There's too much in me. There's not enough living I can do, not enough giving I can do, not enough good things I, I can do to compensate for the evil that resides inside this chest. I'm not talking about you at this moment. I'm talking about me. I, there's, there's, not, I, I, there's not enough. I can't, I can't get over the top of that bill that I owe. If I keep paying and paying and paying, I will never get it right. But Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. The perfect, sinless one says, I'll take on their burden for you. I'll, 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 I'll get in the middle of that. Was it Nancy just talked about that? Was it like on the screen? I don't remember. Talked about him putting off his rights, right? Coming down. Incurring our burden upon himself. That's beautiful. My encouragement to you is that you should let grace work for you and through you. There should be something that goes on there. The amazing thing is Paul, Paul writes, he says, you owe me my, your very soul. And here's what, here's what we know about the, the relationship between Philemon and Paul. Paul go, goes and does ministry in a town called Ephesus, starts a real ministry work. And Philemon lives in a little town called Colossae. 
And a guy named Epaphras gets lit up for Jesus in, in, in Ephesus and then comes back to Coloss, Colossae and starts a church that suddenly is meeting in the house of this guy named Philemon. And so what Paul is saying is, if there had been no Paul, there would, been no, there would have been no Epaphras, there would have been no church in Colossae, there would have been no Philemon in the kingdom. And he's tracking the relational heritage that exists there. That's what he's doing, just like we did at the beginning of this. And so here's the, like, you, you know, you know, you know you, you, the only reason you have hope of heaven is because somebody intervened in your life, man. You, you have all the money in the world, and you, could, you couldn't pay the debt that you owed, and you know it. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. And he said, he, he, he's, he's, even though Philemon cannot repay the debt, he can refresh Paul's heart. He'll go on to say in a little bit. So God, God, grace compels the world. We're talking about how, how grace works. Grace compels the world to change one life at a time. And sometimes we're looking, we're so, we're looking so much at the big picture, we, we've lost track of the, 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 the small thing that's going on right next door to us. We, we've, we've missed the person in the checkout line. We've, we've missed the neighbor right next door. We've, we've missed the one laying along the side of the road. We've, we've, well, we've just gone about business and just kept going. Another thing how grace changed the world one life at a time is by this. Grace compels us to move beyond expectation to bring real encouragement. Listen, listen to Paul's words here in verses 20 and 21. He knows grace is at work in, the, in his brother Philemon. And he says this, Yes, my brother, please do me this favor, that's the work of grace, for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. He goes, I'm, I'm confident what's going on in you. I'm, I'm confident that how grace is already at work in your life. I'm confident. He goes, I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask. Now look at the next line. And even more. Exclamation point. We are so prone to look for the minimum. What's the lowest thing I can do and still be okay? What, 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 what's the least God's asking of me? How can, I, how can I just get to that bottom rung? I'll be good. I mean, if it's given, where's that at? If it's forgiven, you know, what, does that doesn't mean I've got to stay interactive with them. Can I just get on down the road, not do anything? Can I? Because can, remember, the, 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 the request here of, of, Onesimus, of, of, of Paul to Philemon about Onesimus is I want you to invite him back into your home. A little bit over the top. Hmm. But see, if grace is at work, then we're not looking for minimums. We're looking to, 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 to display and describe by our living the grace that so ravished our heart, right? The book, the book of 1 John says these words, says, says this, that God lavished his love upon us. He didn't give us the minimum to get it by. He gave us more than we needed. The Bible would say he's El Shaddai. He's more than enough. And so he's not ever just giving us just a bottom line. He's going way above and beyond what it takes to get us where we need to go. He's given more to us than we need. He, 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 he's given us way more than we deserve. And, 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 and he's asking us to do this. Jesus would look at some guys one day. He goes, listen, if you're going to carry out this thing called the gospel with me, there's something you've got to do. If you're asked to walk a mile, you should walk too. He said, listen, if somebody asks for your coat, people who have my heart, he says, 
You give them your cloak also. Now here's the deal. Living in the Middle, Middle Eastern, let me give you an idea of what's going on in the Middle Eastern uh, uh, climate. They had to do very, various things to protect themselves from the weather, mostly the sun and different things like that. They had to wear different, different things, and at night it would get really cold. So there, there would be layers that would be protected from the sun and from the cold. And so there, there was an outer garment, and there was an inner outer garment for that protection. So Jesus says, if somebody asks for your coat... Give him your cloak also. And Jesus went, he, I mean, he, he, Jesus was, sometimes he was like absolutely crazy. Because the next line, he goes like this. He says, yeah, and if somebody hits you on one cheek, offer him the other one also. All right, Jesus. I, I, okay, I can walk for another 5,280 feet. I got that. I probably have an extra cloak in the, in the closet. I'm cool with that. But dude, that whole turn the other cheek thing, that, 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 wait just a minute. You know, he threw the first punch. Jesus like, well, let him throw the second one too. Because if the grace of God, if the love of God is at work in our lives, we're not looking for the minimum. We're looking to be as lavish as God was with us. How many of you can think about a time where God went over the top for you, like he just fried the circuits? Where like you're like, oh my, how in the, I don't, and your unworthiness suddenly came into play, and you're like, I did not deserve that, and all of a sudden God's worthiness showed up, and you're like, oh my, this was the God of heaven shining his light on me, and I don't know what to think about, I don't know how to think, oh my, and Jesus saying, listen, you, freely you have received this lavishness, freely give it away, don't look for the minimum, go above and beyond. You guys know it's the worker at the, at the job who goes above beyond that gets noticed, not the one who just does what he's supposed to do. Do you guys do that? know that, right? Your job as a Christian is to get noticed. Your job as a Christian is to be sure the glory of God is known and not that they see you. But how are they going to see you if they, if, if, they see Jesus, if they just see you being like everybody else? Just doing enough to get by. Just doing enough to make it. Just, 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 just how? The, we, we, should, we should show that level because God wants it. He, he so desperately wants the world to change one life at a time. Now, here's the thing. I'm not asking you this in every arena of life. You know what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to think of an Onesimus who doesn't deserve it. I'm asking you, like Paul, not to do it for everybody, but there's one case in your life that definitely needs the grace of Jesus. I'm asking you to look, at, look for that one person who doesn't deserve it, that one person who you just like to write off if you could, that one person where you're like, I might forgive, but I don't have to interact with him anymore. I, 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 I'm, I'm looking, because here's the deal. Paul tells this to, to, uh, to Philemon. If you do this, you'll bring encouragement to me. Because what might happen in that moment, it's kind of like that one insurance company, is it New York Life or one of those companies, where the one person sees somebody doing something out of the ordinary and kind, and they walk on down the road and like, dude, they just did that. I could do that too. Okay, and it just keeps funneling down the, the, down the street. You remember that? You remember that commercial? God wants that to happen. We can alter the status quo. If, we'll, if one of us will take one other person and go, dude, I'm going over the top. I'm going beyond. I'm not going to do just to the minimum. I'm going to, I'm going to go way above. I'm going to do something that nobody else has thought of. And maybe one of the Christians sitting next to you going, dude, did you see what they did? You know what? If they can do that for them, what's stopping me from doing that for this guy over here? And then maybe the culture, maybe the climate, maybe the community starts to change a little bit instead of everybody at each other all the time. Maybe. 
Grace compels the world to change one life at a time. Another way it does that is it compels us to make space. Look at verse 22. Paul just keeps upping the ante, doesn't he? Okay, and one more thing. That's how he opens this line. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. See, sometimes we don't recognize that when we begin to make room for Onesimus, we're making room for somebody greater. See, Paul again is writing, not just as Paul. He's writing under the unction of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's writing as, God, as the words of God. And so here's the thing. When we make room for Onesimus, what we don't understand and we don't realize is we're making room for Jesus. He wants to come live there. He wants to come be a part of that thing. It starts with Onesimus, but Jesus said, I can live in that life. I will display my goodness in that life. I, I'll, I'll do something. I'll come be right in that home. I will come show up right at that workplace. I, I want to show up right there. And so when Paul, Paul starts by asking for Onesimus, what Philemon doesn't realize is Paul saying, listen, you're making room for me. You don't even realize it. I want you to make room for me too because I'm coming. I, I, want, I want you to make room. Jesus is looking at all this. He goes, listen, I want you to make room, and I want you to make room because you're, when you're making room for them, remember we're going back to Matthew 25, you're making room for me. He compels us to make I heard somebody say this the other day, and I thought it was a beautiful statement. They said, as God's blessing rests upon us as a church, we shouldn't build big, bigger buildings, bigger barns, bigger facilities, or even bigger homes. We should build bigger tables. Boy, that was beautiful. Paul is going to come in and sit at the table of Philemon. Onesimus is going to come in and sit at the table of Philemon, along with the other members of the body of Christ who are meeting in Philemon's home. And here's the thing we know. Jesus made space for us at his table. Did he not? In his home. He adopted us, Ephesians 1, 5, 6, because that's what he wanted to do from the beginning of time. And God's saying, listen, make, let me help me make space for me. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus, Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And guess what we'll do? We'll eat together. I want to come be among you. I want to come do life with you. That's the one thing we have to do every day of the week is eat, right? That's what we want to do every day of the week, right? Jesus said, I want to be right in the middle of that. The beautiful thing about Paul is, Paul's not just the guy who's throwing out ideas. He's the guy who's living them. Because you know what? If you read down about verse 24, you'll find him with a list of, of guys who are with him. This is this. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. This guy, Mark, is Paul's Onesimus. They're on a journey together. John Mark betrays Paul's confidence and his trust and ditches him on a missionary journey because it gets too tough. And he goes, he goes running home to Mama. And Paul is so hurt by what goes on with John Mark that when, when Barnabas brings up the fact that John Mark ought to go with one another journey, Paul's like, nope, uh-uh, not, 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 nope. It gets so intense that Paul and Barnabas split ways over it. Paul, Barnabas takes off on a missionary journey with John Mark. Paul takes off with a guy named Silas. Remember, Paul and Silas were in jail. The reason Paul's with Silas is not Barnabas because him and, him, and, him, and, him and Barnabas split ways over John Mark. And all of a sudden, John Mark is impacting Paul's life. 
They're doing ministry together again. Paul has welcomed Onesimus back into his own house. That's why he can write these words. There's another guy listed named Demas. In one of their epistles, he would say these words, He has done me much harm. And so Paul's not asking as a guy who is theoretically, theologically thinking about the concept of the kingdom. He is the guy who's carrying it out because that is the gospel. And God's looking at each of us. Don't just be theological. Don't be theoretical. Don't be philosophical. Actually carry this thing out. Actually invite Onesimus back into the fold. Actually go above and beyond. Actually make space. Actually do that. That's being kingdom-minded people. Grace makes space. Oh, that's good. That just came out of there. Ah, grace makes space. It does. Bring them back to the table. Don't count them out. I don't know what those hyper young men were like. Edward Kimball had the pleasure of being Sunday school teacher too. But apparently there was enough there that it, it, it was noticeable by somebody who wrote a book. They were hyper young. Anybody, you know, I'm guessing, you know. Anybody ever had to deal with fifth or sixth grade boys? Boy, that's a, woo, huh? That's a, that's a challenge. Huh? Had to make space for him, right? But grace, grace is, is so powerful and so big and so above and beyond that grace doesn't work by itself. Grace works with prayer. And prayer, com- grace with prayer, compels great things to happen. Paul's words are this. I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. That, would be, that was beyond Paul's belie- ability to almost believe. He was trapped in prison, incarcerated. But he said, I'm thinking grace and prayer are going to work for both of our goods, man. See, the Bible talks about this idea of mountain-moving faith. That when grace makes space, prayer compiled with that makes things happen that couldn't normally happen. That there would be something that would go on. The beautiful, the beautiful part of this is this, that, that grace was working. And, and, and Paul was hoping. Peter and Jesus had this kind of interaction. One evening, they're eating what we call the Last Supper. Peter makes some, some bold proclamations about what he would do and what he wouldn't do. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, listen, by the time the sun rises tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times. And grace starts to go to work right then and there. Jesus would say these words to Peter. Satan has, required, has requisitioned to have you, to sift you like wheat. He said these words, but I've prayed for you. Grace was at work even before Peter messed it up. Before he even got to the point where he was going to, Grace is like, Grace is looking at Peter differently than the way everybody else is looking at Peter. And prayer and grace works on Peter's behalf because by the time that whole morning's over and Peter does deny Jesus and all that stuff happens, Grace is already working in Peter's life. And guess what happens? One day on a morning by the seashore, he and Jesus have an interaction. And Jesus says, Listen, Peter, I know you denied me three times, but Peter, do you love me? You know, Jesus, go feed my sheep. You know what he's saying? Peter, we're not through yet. I have not kicked you to the curb. I am not through with you. I've made space for you. Come and eat fish with me on the seashore. Let's go get this thing done. Let's keep working this thing together. Because grace and prayer together did something that seemed unimaginable. Took a guy who couldn't say yes about anything, who denied Jesus boldly, would become one of the greater preachers of his time. To see 3,000 people come to faith in Christ in one day, the guy who, who, who denied he knew Jesus in front of a little slave girl at a fire, would speak before thousands enough to see 3,000 people come to faith. Is that crazy? This is much like this story here in Philemon. Because here's the deal. You read the history of the church, you'll find these words listed in some of these, these, these 
these stories? Saint Onesimus. Onesimus of Byzantium. The holy apostle Onesimus. A man of Christian faith. He was named by Ignatius of Antioch. Check this word out. As bishop of Ephesus. Philemon had no idea what was about to happen in the life of this young man. None. Grace and prayer went to work on behalf of this fella here. Grace made space, and then grace did great things. He is known as the bishop of Ephesus. He is saved as a result of the guy who started the church in Ephesus, who started the church, who, who was intricate in trying the church in Colossae. He gets to go back, having ran away as a slave, found Paul, finds Paul in prison, becomes a Christian, and begins to pastor the mother church. Is that crazy? Is that above and beyond? And so here's my point. Whoever your own Ephesus is, don't count them out. Don't think God's through with them yet. Don't believe for a second that all the marks are tallied and everything is sorted out because you don't know. And I don't know. And it might be that Dwight L. Moody's in that group. And it might be that Mordecai Ham's in there. It might be that Billy Frank is in there. Onesimus may go on to be the bishop, the holy apostle. Grace compels the world to change. One life at a time. So, let's talk about this for a minute. If we would let grace be our compulsion we be compelled by it. The world be changing. The world would be changing right now. If it would be the compulsion behind everything that we do, if grace would be at work, just like in Philemon, it'd change the world. We, we, if, what if we mobilize to change one life at a time? What if we try to stop, stop trying to take on the whole enchilada and we just all of us just focus on one person? I mean, that, that would change a life that might change a home, that might change a workplace that could alter a climate, an environment, that might change a community. And if enough communities change, guess what happens? The world changes. That's how it works. It's that way. If you're this morning and you're, you're more the Onesimus, you're sitting here this morning and you're under guilt and frustration and fear and, and shame over everything you've done or shouldn't have done and how you did that. Listen, the Bible tells us grace is sufficient. God, God tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us our sin and, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So this week, if you've been the betrayer, if, you, if you're Onesimus, listen to me, there's, there's still space for you. God is not through with you. God's not done working good things out for you. And he's always asking you to acknowledge that you're weak and he's strong. He's always asking you to say, call it what it is. I am the one who messed it up. In that moment, you have a chance at not just being Onesimus the slave, you become Onesimus the brother, who might become Onesimus the bishop. Who knows? You know what I mean? If you're here today and you're more in the Philemon, and I'm going to look around the room I, you know, real quick, most of us don't have enough resource to you know, have servants and stuff. But all of us have enough resource from the grace of God to take someone who needs space, to take someone who's not done everything just right. What, what, what if you today would take Onesimus and treat them as if they were Jesus? What changes about the interaction you have with them this week as opposed to this coming week? What changes if you begin to treat them like you would Jesus? 
This is what Robert Meester wrote. What, 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 what if, what, to whom, to, who can you take on the heaviness of, the burden, to make sure they keep taking steps forward? Who is it? Who's the person that you can get underneath of whatever heaviness they're carrying, whether they deserve it or not is irrelevant at this point. Who, who, who has God strategically placed you near or around who, who is weighted down, who is burdened by something, can't get over the top, can't fix what's broken? Who is it? To whom can you show the extravagant love of God by moving beyond expectation? Who's the person that needs something just extra? And you can walk up to him and go, you know, I forgive you. But it might be something like, hey, what are you doing for dinner on Saturday afternoon? Would you come sit at my table with me? We've got an extra room. You want to come stay? Need a hand up? I'll help you. Can you make space in your home? Can you make space in your, in your schedule? Can you make space at your table? Can you make space in your budget? Might take all that. Let's do something. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. God, we think about to whom... You may have called us. We know you've called us to yourself first and foremost. And for that, we are ultimately grateful. Without your grace, without your forgiveness, without your mercy, without your truth, God, illuminating the way for us, God, we would be nowhere. We're grateful for those if statements, God, of the people you brought into our lives to make sure that would happen. We, we, we we're grateful, Lord God. We're in no ways backward about that. But God, today... You're calling us back to yourself, God, for every Onesimus in this room, God, who feels like they have just made really horrible decisions and they've hurt others and they've messed up life. God, I pray that in, the mo in this moment, Jesus, they would sense the grace and the forgiveness and love of God and it would compel them, Lord Jesus, to, to see beyond where they are, beyond what they've done. That, God, your grace is lavish, it's big, it's, it's beyond anything we can imagine. And, Lord Jesus, it covers all of it. God, I pray you give them the power to confess it like you see it. Be honest with themselves and their evaluation of themselves, their evaluation, God, of, 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 of where, they, where they've been and what they've done. But God, God, enable them to know, Lord Jesus, you've got it. Let your blood cover all of their unrighteousness and let God guilt and shame be cleansed and rinsed away, God, completely. Jesus, for all of us who sit here as maybe Philemon, Jesus, God, we, we, we talked about who our Onesimus might be last week. And I pray we'd take it a step further this week, Jesus, and we begin to figure out, Lord Jesus, how we can treat them as we would treat you. God, that we, we'd consider, Lord Jesus, we're partnering with you in this. Lord Jesus, we'd, we'd consider that, God, we've got to take on their burden, that we have got to find a way, God, to get up and underneath the load with them. That, Lord, we, we, you, you want us, God, to make space for them. 
And in making space for them, we're making space for you to, to be at work in our lives and, 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 and complete the mission and the commission. God, it's, this is not just churchy stuff. God, this is life stuff. This is not just religious stuff. God, we, we don't want to be those Levites and priests, God, who walked on the wrong side of the road. God, we want to be that Samaritan who, who intervenes and, and, and carries the weight and the burden and sees to it that, that a person gets where they need to go, Lord. We, we want that. And so Jesus, if it's a person at work or a person in our family, God, a person in our neighborhood, God, if it's a, if it's a person in this, in this body, God, we've, we've got harsh feelings towards or whatever, God, help us to make, to make the adjustments to us. Empower us by your spirit, Jesus, to, to let grace work in us, through us, and around us, Jesus. And God, the real, the real place that what happens here makes a difference is when we get out there. And so, God, let the residue of, of, your, of your heart, of your love, let the reverberation of your word compel us forward, Jesus. Let the compulsion of our hearts be your grace and your truth. God, we trust you and we bless you. It's in your great name. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org.